0: If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. Today, I want to talk about another heavy topic that requires some grace, and that's mental health. I'm willing to bet that nearly everyone listening to me right now has either been affected by, or known someone struggling with mental illness, whether you know it or not. An estimated 26% of Americans age 18 and older, that's about one in four adults, suffers from a diagnosable mental disorder in a given year. In 2020, suicide was the second leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 14 and 25 to 34. Most people who commit suicide have a diagnosable mental disorder, most commonly a depressive disorder or a substance abuse disorder. I've personally struggled with anxiety and depression on and off since I was about 14, and I struggled with behavioral disorders even longer than that. I didn't know what it was or how to talk about it until high school when I started medication and therapy. I rarely spoke about it. By the time I was in college, I was essentially in a state of remission and no longer needed the assistance of medication. Fast forward to the birth of my first son. From the outside, I had a perfect life. I had a good job, a brand new baby, a new house, and a doting husband. What more could I want or need? On the inside, my postpartum depression and anxiety was crippling me thoughts of my baby suffocating in his sleep or my husband being caught in a fiery crash on his way home from work invaded every quiet moment I had. Couple that with a newborn who refused to sleep and a demanding work schedule and you have a recipe for disaster. It felt like I was being eaten alive and no matter how hard I prayed, my sadness wouldn't cease. I couldn't do it alone anymore. I didn't want to return to medication, and I felt weak and ashamed that I couldn't handle this by myself. But I knew if this went on any longer, there wouldn't be any handling it. I still rarely spoke about it. I felt like I wasn't a good Catholic, or I wasn't praying right, that everything I was doing was wrong. And I'd heard from the few well-intentioned people that I did share with tell me that this is my cross to bear, or I should offer it up to God, or why are you so sad? Look at all the blessings God has given you and start being grateful, which made me feel even worse. I think so many of us Catholics fall into the trap of over-spiritualizing and underestimating our humanness. We don't tell someone with a broken arm to just get over it, or someone with cancer to start being grateful for all you have and cheer up. As humans, we get physically ill, we see a doctor. And if we can get physically ill, we can also be mentally ill. But instead of seeking help in community, we suffer in silence. Why? Mental illness does not. Discriminate. Full stop. Robin Williams was a successful comedian. Naomi Judd had an amazing country music career. Kate Spade had a thriving business. I've personally known classmates, friends, co workers, mothers, fathers, and even a priest who've ended their lives by suicide because of mental illness. And I'm also willing to bet that nearly all of them could have been prevented with the right help. Mental illness is nothing to be ashamed of, just like you wouldn't be ashamed of cancer. We're not called to walk alone in this journey. Today, I'm joined by Donna Nebostinsky and Tim Danko of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish, who saw a need for mental health services in their parish and decided to take action to create a community within the church that works to end the stigma of mental illness. Donna and Tim, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk to you about this new program that you guys are running. Could you each tell me a little bit about yourselves? Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Well,
1: I'm Donna. Um, I have been a member of the parish at St. Elizabeth Ann Seaton for just over 30 years now. I came into the Catholic Church through uh, an individual RCIA program at Millersville University when I was uh, in college. I have uh, married, my husband Joe is the manager at the radio station in Shiremanstown, WHYF. Um, We have two kids, two sons. They're both married and um, have two grandkids uh, who live in Philadelphia. So just a little bit more about how I ended up at the parish as pastoral assistant, which is what my title is right now. I'm a retired elementary school teacher, public school teacher. So this is sort of a second vocation for me now. I started volunteering in the in the role that I have, uh, did that for almost a year, ended up part-time on the payroll, and now I'm there full time. So this is a whole new a whole new aspect of who I am right now as pastoral assistant,
2: and uh, my name is Tim. I've been in the parish for about 22 or 23 years now. My wife Sally and I. Um, I'm a born and raised Pennsylvania boy. My career took me out of state when I learned that I could pretty much live anywhere I wanted to, regardless of my job. I came back to Pennsylvania because I had lifelong friends here, and uh, and we joined the parish. I eventually ended up working on the parish pastoral council. Um, then for a number of, you know, kind of sidebar projects for the former pastor, Monsignor King. I come from a consulting business kind of background. Uh, retired in 2013, I narrate audiobooks part-time. as kind of a sideline career. And uh, when the subject of this mental health ministry arose it struck me that it was the right time for me to get more involved. I felt actually compelled to do something about it.
0: I love that you guys have been able to come back to the church as like a second calling. Mm -hmm. I love that. So I understand this ministry at your parish is fairly new. How were you able to get it established and, and why is it important to you?
1: That's a good question. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Jim and I have talked about this a couple of times. Actually, what happened was during the pandemic, during the shutdown, um, I unfortunately got in the habit of doing a lot of scrolling on my phone through social media and stumbled across a Facebook page that was simply titled Trauma-Informed Parishes. And so I was following it. There wasn't a lot of information with it, but I ended up finding the person who started the page and she and I connected on a Zoom meeting, uh, just to see what the program was about, thinking that, you know, perhaps it would be something that eventually we want to bring to the parish. In the course of that meeting, she said to me, well, I think you might want to be interested in, you might be interested in reaching out to this deacon. His name is Deacon Schoner and he's from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Well, the amazing thing about that was she had no idea where I was from. I had never told her that I was from Pennsylvania to begin with. So that's what the first step of this was, I reached down to Deacon Schoner, got some information on the association that he um, is creating, and, and it's still it's still kind of in a creation process. It's still mm-hmm. kind of morphing and mm-hmm. developing, um, and that's where this all got started. Uh, then I somehow, and Tim and I have talked about this, we aren't really sure exactly how we ended up connecting specifically on this task. Sometimes we have coffee. Maybe it was during one of those conversations because Tim and I, of course, had worked together with parish pastoral council too on merit projects. So do you remember how? I
2: I think it was, you had, you had mentioned the trauma informed parishes, uh, Facebook page to me. Mm -hmm. So I kind of went and explored there and found it. Very touching,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, in terms of the the thoughts that the uh, that the woman who manages the group was was offering and putting out there. And it was, in fact, during one of our you know mm-hmm. weekly or biweekly you know coffee and donut kind of chats that you said you thought this was something the parish should do, uh, or or would be valuable for the parish. It caught me at the time because, and we'll probably get into this, because I was being the healthcare advocate for a close friend who had cancer and was encountering people who were suffering, mm-hmm. in, and not just from a physical affliction, but from dealing with the stress and the struggle of it all. Uh, so, it, so it struck a chord with me that, yeah, this is probably something we really need to do.
1: So that's, that's sort of how it, it jump-started. Um, we ended up taking a course with the University of San Diego. Uh, the coursework was, again, this, this university program was sponsored by Deacon Schoner and the Association of Catholic Mental Health mm-hmm. Ministers, which he created. Uh, so, Tim and I completed the course. The final grade was you were to write a project. You were to come up with a plan for your parish to implement a mental health ministry, which we collaborated on. Mm-hmm. Did very well. I believe we got A's in that class. Yeah. Um, and then uh, moving forward, we were uh, contacted by Deacon Schoner and um, offered to the opportunity to apply for a grant. The association put together a grant program. So we took that Mm -hmm. plan that we put for the class and tweaked it into the grant application. We We worked together on that. Um, And then in January, I believe it was early January, we were um, awarded a $10,000 grant to get this ministry up and running. So we're kind of jumping in right now with, with both feet. Um, so it's it's been pretty exciting, pretty busy since the beginning of the yeah. calendar year, especially. So
0: wow, that's amazing. So it's still fairly in its infancy, I would say. Yes, yeah. Yes.
2: It's um, the the national organization that Deacon Schoner runs has been in place for about three years, but it is a it's a grassroots kind of effort, and so he's driving it pretty much from his position in the Diocese of Scranton. The real work is occurring in the parishes. There are probably 30 chapters, I think give or so, take. At this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so a m so a ministry he refers to as a chapter. So there are about 30 parishes with ministries in varying stages of formation. Most recently, I think he's initiated one in India, one in Africa, most are in the United States. Um, and as I've had a chance to look over the map, most of them are in California and the Southwest, interestingly enough. Um, and they, and as I said, they're all in varying stages of maturity and formation, but all of them are kind of feeling their way through this because there is no playbook.
0: Right. Yeah. And especially this day and age where everything's changing and that's incredible. I love that. So talk to me a little bit about the pillars of your program. And how each of them play a role in ending the stigma of mental illness.
1: Well, ending the stigma is a huge piece to the entire uh, ministry. Um, As Tim mentioned, there are about 30 chapters. We are, except for the one in Scranton that the deacon runs, we are the only group in Pennsylvania. We are the first church in first Mm -hmm. parish in Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania outside of his ministry in Scranton to take this on. So we're very excited about that. Um, but the, the, the pillars are we, it, it's, a, it's designed so that we could be very creative and meet the needs of the parish, meet the needs of the diocese in particular. But what we've kind of um, determined is, first of all, educational pieces for the community at large, for the parish and, and the outlying community to reduce the stigma of what it means to be able to say I struggle with a mental illness or I have a family member who struggles with a mental illness. Um, so that's one piece, The bringing in speakers, bringing in organizations that can provide some insight and provide some support educationally. The other piece, the big piece then, is what Deacon refers to and we're going to refer to as well as spiritual support groups. So spiritual support groups uh, are designed for two different audiences. The first is for those who have been diagnosed with a mental illness. And then the other type of spiritual support group is for family and friends of people who are suffering and dealing with this this journey. So we are going to, in June, begin the small group, the spiritual support group for those who are struggling with a mental illness. Eventually, after we have some more training, we will add the pieces for a separate group for family and friends. So spiritual support groups are basically just exactly that. There's, there's no counselor. There's no therapist. It's a group of people who have come at this from a specific spiritual component who are there as um, companions to walk this walk and be supportive. Basically, what happens in these small groups is that people come in, they decide on a scale of, let's say, one to five, how well they're coping that week. The people who are having the most difficulty share their struggle first with the rest of the people in the group, and they just talk with each other and support each other. The other piece, then, too, the third kind of pillar, mm-hmm. if you will, is providing resources, pulling together community resources that uh, or can all be found in one place. There are a lot of there are a lot of organizations that do that but you still have to go searching for things. So part of our goal is to, to put those either on our website, have paper copies of things of, so that if somebody does reach out, we can steer them in the right direction. So
2: Yeah. I think there's a, there's a complimentary lens to look through on this first part of which is a, is about the stigma because what I have come to recognize in the short time that I've been involved with this is that people who struggle Right, whether you're formally diagnosed or not, you kind of feel alone about this, right? It's in in it, in some cases it's a loneliness that comes from I don't know anybody else who's struggling, so I'm all alone. To the other side, which is I'm really embarrassed to talk about this, so I feel alone. And so and so the the objective of reducing the stigma is to say it's okay to talk about it right? It's okay to admit that you're struggling or suffering because another perspective on, on on mental suffering is it's it's like knee surgery, right? If you say to somebody, oh, I've got to go in and get knee surgery, suddenly you know 50 people who have had knee surgery, right? It kind of comes out of the woodwork because you mentioned it. and And I think the same thing is true about mental suffering, that if you say... I'm suffering from deep anxiety about this issue. You'll find that there are 20 people around you who are suffering from anxiety about the same issue. And there's a certain level of comfort that comes from knowing that you're not alone. Um, And it's okay to talk about it uh, because the, the simple fact of acknowledging is a sort of release. But there are people around you who want to support you And unless they know that you need their support, you know, they may not know that they can give it to you. So, so the, so the stigma piece of this is really very critical to get not just the people who are suffering or afflicted, but the people who are around them that can support them free to talk about it. The other, the other aspect of this is providing a safe place to do this because, It's not like going to a therapist where you pay real money to get guidance, but you just need a place where you can be yourself and know that there are others in the room who are having the same experience and others in the room who are willing to support you through the experience. So, So the other aspect of this that we offer is a safe place to come talk about it and just kind of be who you are with it. And then the third complimentary piece is... Christ is always there in the suffering. And sometimes I think, and I have had this experience several times in my life, when you're struggling with something, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that Christ is there for you and with you. And so the other piece of the lens that I look through is helping people to recognize that Christ is there with them and he is a source of strength. And that's and those are not just words.
0: I think that's fascinating that, you guys are going to be incorporating those who support people who are struggling because I feel like they're often ignored and they end up developing something on their own as if they don't, you know, they're struggling with not feeling good enough or being, not being able to help. I I think that
2: it's easy to lose sight of the fact that families of those who are afflicted with mental illness have a suffering that's unique Mm -hmm. to them and just as powerful and just as deep. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so, so serving, serving those who are Mm formally diagnosed and suffering and those who are loving and suffering as well is important.
0: Absolutely. It's very critical. And it's a piece that I think we don't talk about very much in my own mental health journey. Some of the things that I've regularly heard that weren't inherently bad, but also Mm -hmm. weren't helpful were things like, oh, you're not praying hard enough, or, you know, you're surrounded by blessings, what do you have to be sad about, which in turn made me feel guilty for wanting to seek out help. How is your ministry working to change the narrative?
1: I think right now, uh, what we're doing is, as a matter of fact, the the first piece of this program launches tomorrow evening. We're using a program called Sanctuary for Catholics. And the Sanctuary program, and again, in in collaboration with Deacon Schoner and, and his association, is A way to begin the discussion, uh, a way to come together in small groups or um, just on a weekly basis. There's like eight sessions of this, and to take a look at how we are listening or not listening. How are we communicating appropriately and supporting, or how are we not? How is the language that we're using? Turning people away or, like you just mentioned, increasing that level of feeling guilty. You're not trying hard enough. You're not working hard enough. So the spiritual support groups and also the spirituality of this type of program is such that we understand, like Tim said, Christ is there with us in our suffering. He wants to walk that journey with us. He's not going to magically make it disappear. He could if he wanted to, but most likely not. And so we need to understand that we aren't alone with that. And we also need to understand, though, however, that those of us that are not struggling with an an identified mental illness need to be able to be that support system for others, that it's not just, you know, you're not praying hard enough. Well, maybe if you'd come to church more or maybe you'd be, you know, you wouldn't, you know, keep yourself locked up in your room or, or, or all of those things that sometimes, like you mentioned, inherently aren't negative, but when they're heard in that perspective, they become part of an even deeper issue. So educating the parish at large um, with something like this program, just letting people know that there's there's a, a better way to approach and support those who are struggling. So for example, even just a change in the use of the language. You know, you wouldn't say to someone who's diagnosed with cancer, I've, I've had cancer. So friends of mine did not say, oh, well, you're cancer. I'm not cancer. I s- suffered from cancer. However, someone who's diagnosed with schizophrenia, for example, we say, oh, they're schizophrenic. They're bipolar. They're depressed. No, they're not. They're children of God who are carrying the burden of that suffering, that we are called just like, you know, all of my friends who sent cards and flowers and provided meals when I was going through my cancer. We need to be able to walk that walk with those who are struggling with a mental illness. It's not a, it's not a physically perceived situation. So once we all begin to look at that, differently, which is a huge task. It's a, it's a culture shift for many of us. But when we begin to take a look at mental illness and those types of issues from the perspective of it's a disorder, it's a disease, it's not the person. And I think that's a that's a huge key to begin with.
2: Yeah. And, and mental illness is a form of suffering, right? And I've read a lot of books on suffering and the doctors of the church and greater minds than mine have explored the topic and they all admit that there's no clear resolution as to why God permits suffering. Uh, They can't answer that question. But to the questions that you cited about, you know, you're surrounded by blessings. What do you have to be sad about? Nowhere have I ever seen it written Stated that you can't be richly blessed and suffer as well. So, so those things are not mutually exclusive, and and from a certain point of view, depending upon how you respond to suffering, the suffering can turn out to be a blessing as well. So there's a there's there's great theological depth in the questions that you ask, which I am not prepared to address. Uh, but it's but to to Donna's point it's important it's important not to dismiss those questions but i think those questions are distracting they take the focus away from where it needs to be
1: mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I think just to kind of piggyback on something Tim mentioned too, the theological component, the sanctuary program deals with that specifically. There are sociological perspectives. Um, there's an educational perspective that is goes on in each of the presentations. But there's also the theological perspective. And the um, sanctuary program itself, there's it, there are two. There's an ecumenical one, and then there's one specifically for Catholics. Um, the one that we're using, of course, is that one. But one of the things that this program is based on is the Psalms and exactly what you mentioned, Tim. You can be suffering, but also at a point of blessing or blessing others through your suffering and how to understand that, how to not only if you are someone walking that journey of mental illness personally, but the family members and the people in the faith community, how what does it look like? to live your life with a diagnosis of schizophrenia or generalized anxiety disorder. So part of this program, there's a, there's a video vignette of someone speaking to their mental illness and explaining why they find it difficult to attend mass, why they find it difficult to interact at a party, why they find it difficult sometimes to get up out of bed and head off to work. And so when you look at going back to the, the comments that Tim was making about looking through lenses, when you look at these situations and these life experiences through the lens of someone who's walking that out every day, where is the church in this? Where is faith in this? Where is God mm-hmm. in, in this, this suffering? Um, so that's why I think the Sanctuary Program does a beautiful job of, of, of hitting that component really,
0: really well. We've unfortunately run out of time, but if you'd like to hear the rest of this episode, you can listen to us anytime on Spotify under Candid Catholic Convos, or you can download this episode from our website at hbgdiocese.org. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, The easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash DAC and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.